Amen. Amen. Thank you to Jeff and the musicians for that wonderful music. And thank you for all of you for being here with us on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas from all of us at Prairie View. And it is uh, wonderful that we can be here together to celebrate what the Lord has done. Imagine, if you will, please, the following uh, situation. You and your child are both under the weather. You're not on your deathbeds, but you're definitely sick. You have a strange collection of symptoms that don't really go together, and uh, you don't quite understand what is going on. So you decide to both go to the doctor and get checked out. So you go, you register at the window, and as you have a seat in the waiting room, you notice that there are several other people in the waiting room waiting to see the doctor as well. And uh, they are, some of them, healthier, some of them not so much, but they all seem to have the same affliction that you and your child have. And instead of just sitting there in silence, watching Dr. Phil or reading a 2009 copy of Better Homes and Gardens, they seem to be talking with each other. And so you listen in to this conversation. And there's a man on one side of the room who is telling everybody what it is that they did that got them sick in the first place. So as you take your seat, he turns to you. You would not be sick, he says, if you had gotten better rest this weekend, chosen the fruit instead of the french fries, and not gone swimming right after having that big meal. And you acknowledge that perhaps your sleeping and, and dieting and exercise aren't all that they could be, and maybe you could lay off the eggnog a bit, but really, what does that, how does that explain how you and your child are both sick now, and what good does it do for one sick person to tell another sick person how it is that they got sick, because obviously it didn't help him any, and it's not making anybody feel any better. Well, what's done is done, says a lady on the other side of the room, and if you would Avoid being sick in the future. If you don't want to be sick again, then what you must do is take your vitamins, floss, exercise, drink eight bottles of water a day, shop locally, support small businesses, drive a hybrid, recycle, and do random acts of kindness. And then if you do those things, you will never be sick again. And you can acknowledge that some of those things seem like a good idea on the surface, maybe. And, uh, but... It didn't stop her from getting sick again. And you're really more concerned not about not getting sick again in the future, but in getting well now, because that seems to be in no danger of actually taking place. Perhaps thinking along those same lines, a sulky teenager sitting over by the window takes off his headphones and begins to loudly tell everybody what it is that they need to do to get better. But you don't even bother to listen to what he has to say, because if he knew what to do to get better, he wouldn't be waiting in the doctor's office with the rest of you. And besides, he's like 14 and he's reading a copy of Hunger Games for Dummies. And so you really don't take his opinion that seriously in the first place. So you look around the room and see who else is there that might have an opinion. And there's a man sitting by himself and there's a husband and a wife. And the husband and wife are talking about how good it is that they can be there together. How good it is that we can all be there together and how wonderful it is that we can share our thoughts and opinions with each other. And they just seem perfectly happy and content to be here in the doctor's waiting room. They are just as sick as anyone coughing and oozing all over the place, but they don't seem to notice it or acknowledge it. They're just so happy that we can all be here together. And this seems downright odd. And in fact, um, pointless because nobody wants to be here. We want to see the doctor and go home. 
So you're getting rather tired of this situation, and your child is three steps ahead of you. Um, and uh, you decide, even though there's nothing else going on, that you might as well hear what this last fellow has to say who's been sitting by himself. So you turn to him and, and uh, start to listen, and then you're startled to realize he's not saying anything at all. In fact, he's looking straight at you as though he's known all along that eventually you would turn your attention to him and he's just been waiting. And before you decide it might just be best to leave and not see the doctor after all, he smiles and says, I know what's wrong with you. I know how you got sick, how you can get better, and how you can avoid getting sick again in the future. I can introduce you to other people that have listened to me and are recovering, and you can help each other as you get better. I can do all this because I'm the doctor. Now, our world is a lot like this doctor's waiting room. We all know that something's wrong. We don't need big news stories like natural disasters, school shootings, and a fiscal cliff to tell us that something isn't quite right in the world. In the normal day-to-day of our everyday lives, we can tell that something is off. Even in our uh, best moments of escape, we know that, that things aren't quite right. We are surrounded by the economic hardships and illness that affect each of us, and we have fractured relationships in our lives, in our home and in our neighborhoods and communities, in our country, around the world, and even with the very earth itself. And even in our most blissful moments of escape, for me and Aaron, last month on a cruise in the Caribbean, even when all is right with the world, we know that it is temporary, and we know that even inside, we are not the men and the women and the young people that we want to be, or that we could be, or that we should be. There's a restlessness and a dissatisfaction and a discontentment that we can't ever truly escape. That's why even in Hamilton County in 2013, the self-help section of the bookstore and the magazine rack at the grocery store will be there, overflowing, offering to help you find whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever that might be for you. We all have a longing for peace and security, satisfaction, joy, and wholeness for ourselves and for our loved ones. So here we are in a church on Christmas Eve. And for some of you, this is one of those high moments where we can leave outside all of the hardship and conflict and turmoil and enjoy the Christmas spirit and the warmth and the giving and the singing and the lights and the fellowship. But we know it's out there waiting for us. And in three weeks' time, our lives aren't really going to be all that different. Fortunately, there's more to Christmas than just a winter festival of goodwill and comfort. Christmas is when we celebrate God's external divine intervention into human history. He was not content to leave us in our broken condition. Christmas is when it's like those people in the waiting room. We all have an opinion about what's gone wrong and what we need to do differently or how maybe things aren't that bad after all, or it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But God was not content to leave us to our own ignorant speculations. He intervened to save his people. I once heard a pastor get um, put on the spot, and he was asked this question. What is it that makes Christianity 
unique, different, and in your opinion, better than all the other world religions and philosophies. And he gave an answer that was good and true and halfway there to the right answer. He said, the incarnation. Christianity is different and unique because our God came to us to live among us as one of us. And that is half of the right answer. He, he didn't just come to be with us and live with us for the sake of togetherness and camaraderie. That's just where it starts. Jesus' birth was just the beginning of the work that he had to do. It was just, you know, Christmas is when we celebrate God lifting the curtain on the key act in the drama of redemption. And the act starts with a scene in Bethlehem with a baby in a manger, but it reaches its conclusion with a scene in Jerusalem and a cross and a cemetery. Jesus didn't just come to show us that God wants to be with us and spend some time with us. He came to pay the price that it would take to reconcile us to God. This is where the illustration of the doctor's office breaks down. Jesus didn't just come to heal us. He came to take upon himself our sickness, our sin, our death sentence. He didn't just come to put a prescription in our hand, but to put his life in our souls. And he didn't come just to make us better and send us home, but he came to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, from whom we had been estranged. So as we close this service by celebrating communion and lighting our candles and singing Silent Night, let's remember what it is that we are celebrating. As you hold that little flame, remember that light has come into the world, shining into the darkness so that we could have the knowledge of God's glorious grace. When we sing about radiant beams from thy holy face, remember that that is just the dawn of redeeming grace, just the first glimmer of light shining into the darkness that does not shine nearly as brightly as the full light of day, which shone most brilliantly not when Jesus was born, but when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And as we echo the words of the angels singing, Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born, remember that he was born for sinners like me and like you. He was born to die so that we can be reconciled back to God and have our sin put to death and walk with him in new life. We're going to close this service by celebrating communion and then singing Silent Night together. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are welcome to take the bread and the juice with us, whether you are a member of our congregation or not. If um, you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then just take a candle and, uh, and, and move on from the table. I'm going to have a prayer for us, and then we're going to have some music. Take a moment in your seat and reflect, and when you're ready, come to the table. Take the bread, take the juice, and then take the candle and find a spot around the perimeter of the room. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, then just take the candle, and if you like, find me afterwards, and we can talk about that later. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can not just know what is wrong with us, but what can be done about it. Thank you that you did not leave us in the condition in which we were born, but you sent your Son into the world to live among us, to live a perfect life that we could never live, and to die the death that we deserve to die 
to give us new life. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word and through the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for grouping us into churches so that we can celebrate together what it is that you have done and help each other as we walk in the new Christian life, growing in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that we can celebrate tonight, not just what you did when when you sent your son to be born, but when you sent your son to the cross as we celebrate communion with the bread and the juice. And it's in his great name that we pray, Lord. Amen.